things that bump in the night. Things that creep us out. Voices from another realm. The figures that move out of the corner of your eye. That odd light in the sky. everybody welcome back to another episode of it came from amity welcome back uh <laughs> i was something that was weird we heard a <laughs> pop in the studio i'm not sure what that was but okay but uh yeah so paranormal with the paranormal huh so my seinfeld poster falls off last night and then there's a pop there's a ghost in here there might be you know what they say if you stare into the abyss the abyss will stare back it's ever since I bought that Ouija board. It's been in the box, but stuff hasn't been quite the, the same, man. It's usually how it goes. <sighs> but uh, but yeah, so we are back. Um, our schedule has been a little more consistent. If you guys have been listening, you guys know that we've been doing pretty good for about the last month of being in the studio on a regular basis. And uh, I think we've done a good job of... Uh, giving you guys good quality content we did a video i think about a month but three weeks ago so what we do to do another one here uh in another couple weeks um so before we get started real quick um if you guys are wanting to if you guys have been listening for a while and you like this type of stuff which i'm sure that you do since you're listening to us there's two big big ways to support us you can either subscribe uh, at, on any of the platforms that you listen to us at. Tell your friends and family about us. I know we do this every, almost every week, letting everybody know what we're up to and what we're doing and trying to do this housekeeping stuff and help and get you guys to help spread the word about us. But um, that's the biggest way is to share us with your friends and family. Let them know that we exist. And uh, the second way, if you have already subscribed, um, is you can go to our Teespring store and buy some merch, t-shirts, masks, socks, hoodies. Uh, well, got one, des- one design right now, but we're going to get more. So, oh yeah. Uh, you can even get a fanny pack. I think if you want to, oh yeah, tote bag, socks, masks, whatever. Yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there is literally all kinds of stuff. I just actually bought a t-shirt and two die cut stickers yesterday. Oh, nice. And, um, uh, the uh, t-shirt is a heavy metal color and it's got the basic logo on the front with the uh, Facebook website uh, address on it. So I'm pretty excited to get that. It'll be here in about two weeks, I think. So I'm very, very excited to get that so I can rock our merch. I'm surprised I didn't get a notification that somebody bought something. Yep. I bought it, dude. I can't wait. But um, with that said, um, uh, like I said, we got several projects lined up. We're slowly but surely checking them off, checking them off, checking them off. But we are getting there. We're getting where we want to be um, as far as getting these projects done that we keep saying we want to do. But we're getting there. Just it's, sometimes it's, you know, all about schedule and timing. So. So today. Today. What happens if you meet a girl at the bar and she's not that great looking, but you decide to go home with her anyway? Well. And. 
you're kind of thinking to yourself, this woman might kill me. You might be right. And we have a similar story to that. We have, and some of you guys might be familiar with her. And this story is internationally known. Like, yeah. this is a very uh, popular story with true crime buffs. and um, But she's a local legend. Yeah, she is an Indiana girl. Um, well, Indiana it's where the majority girl. It's where the majority of the story takes place. Is actually outside of Laporte, Indiana. And for those of you who do not know who we're talking about, this is Belle Gunnis. Um, so to kind she of... She's not the Belle of the Ball. No, she was not. Um, if you ever see pictures of her, she looks like a... Remember Matilda, Miss Trunchbull? Yes. That's she's, who she looks she's like. She's basically Miss Trunchbull. That's who she looks like. She's even got the, 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 the do and everything. Yeah. A similar build, too. She's a very broad woman. She will make you eat that whole chocolate cake. Uh... Yeah, she looks like she's a hefty girl. Uh, I mean, it looks like she probably like never skips leg day. Farmhand. She she was a farmer. Yeah, she actually uh, actually uh, was married to a farmer, and he mysteriously died, and she ran the farm, and she had several kids, um, and I think only a couple made it to adulthood, if I remember right. So we're going to get into this. So you got Belle Guinness, and she was actually born as Brynhild Paulstatter Storset. Uh, she was born November 11th, 1859. And I have two different sources I'm going to be going through to, to talk to about her. There's Murderpedia.com and, of course, Wikipedia, which I reference quite a bit. Murderpedia. Murderpedia. That's hilarious. So you got Wikipedia, Murderpedia. So and Murderpedia, I discovered by accident. I'm really glad that I did because there's actually a letter that I'm going to read later on. So she was born, uh, born November 8, 11th, 1859. Uh, and she possibly died April 28th, 1908. And we'll get into that. So she was actually born in Norway and she was active in Illinois and Indiana between 1884 and 1908. She is thought to have killed anywhere between 14 and 40 people. So, depending on the sources and uh, the connections of the people that have died that have crossed her path, it's anywhere between 14 and 40. Now. Good Lord. It's said that she died in 1908 by fire, but they think that she actually faked her own death. Yeah. Um, her house burnt down. Yep. This is before they had, like, dental records and stuff. Yeah, this is, I mean, turn of the century. So, yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot to go on. And we'll get to that, too. So she actually had three different nicknames that a lot of people will reference her to. There's Hell's Bell, the Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. Oh. Uh, because she was so ruthless like the pirate. And she was very cold and calculating. She was not um, what you would call a heartfelt, compassionate woman. Um, no, duh. Yeah, she, I mean, she was just not a very... I mean, she does not definitely have that uh, warm motherly feel to her, definitely. Um, so, like I said, Brynhild Paulstatter, or Paul's Statter Storset, she was born in Selbu, Norway, and she moved to the United States in 1881. And it wasn't until April of 1908 when they, where her criminal activities were actually revealed and people started to realize just the type of woman she really was. Now, the people in Laporte 
and her neighbors kind of had an idea there was some weird stuff going on, but no one could ever prove anything. People would see her uh, at the farm. She would like have like some kind of bundle in a wheel cart and carry like a body and it would be in the middle of the night or she'd be digging a hole in the middle of the night. Yeah. I mean, she was doing all these weird activities and they were like, well, that's weird. What is, what but is them, it's doing? like, she's on her property. She's not hurting us. So screw it. Yeah. I mean, cause back then it was like, well, if it's not hurting us, we're just going to leave it alone right. behind closed doors and all that. So, um, you're in the ruins and we'll, and we'll get more deeper into this, but in the ruins of the burned house, in 1908, they found a woman, a headless adult woman. And this is kind of what got authorities kind of like, well, maybe this ain't really her. It's because the woman was headless for some reason. Uh, they initially, but people were like, well, it's probably Belle because, well, who else could it be? And there were three children that were also there with her. And um, they found the remains of at least 11 other people on the property because they noticed that some of the ground looked like it was like like had been unearthed, like some of the ground had been dug up and like had just been covered over. And we'll get into that too, because uh, there's, there's a reason why people kind of discovered what they discovered and how they discovered it. So in 1884, and we'll, um, we're going to get into the deaths here. Bill Gunnis married a guy named Mads Sorensen in 1884 and they owned a candy store, which burned to the ground. And it was actually a really successful candy store there for a long time. But then when the novelty of it wore off and it started not doing very well, you know, just so happened the candy store burnt to the ground. I can live my whole life and not have a single building of mine burned to the ground. Right. Most people can do that. Mm -hmm. If you have more than one building burned to the ground in your lifetime, something's going on. Oh, yeah. And in this case, I mean, you have to think. I mean, I'm sure the insurance people thought there was something on like, hmm, this door is not doing very well. And all of a sudden it burns to the ground. Yeah. But, and not only did the candy store burn down, their home also burned down and the insurance paid out for both. Then on July 30th, 1890, Sorensen had purchased two life insurance policies that were active at the same time as one would expire on July 30th, 1890, and the other one begin. Just so happens, Sorensen dies of cerebral hemorrhage on that very day. Dang. Isn't that something? Yeah. So Gunnis tells everybody that he had come home from work, he had a massive headache, and she basically gave him some powder for the pain. It was called quinine, quinine powder. And she later checked on him and said he was dead. Gunnis collected money from both of the life insurance policies, and the one that went into effect that day was worth $5,000. Now, that's not $5,000 today money. That's $5,000 1884 money, or sorry, 1890 money. Uh, which, if I remember right, I think it came to like something around the effect of like $50,000 a day or $20,000 today. Sounds about right. Um, so after he died, Bell then marries a guy named Peter Gunnis in 1901. He died eight months later due to a skull injury. So basically, Bell says, well, he was reaching for something and it was on a high shelf and the meat grinder that was sitting up there just clunked him on the head and it, and it, and it kills him. Now, Bell, and I think 
the daughter that she had with Mads would go to school and tell one of her friends that mommy bashed Papa's head in with the meat grinder. So kids talk now at this point, after the fire at the Gunnis homestead in in April 28th of 1908, it led to discovery of the bodies and, and how that happened is there was a guy who she was like corresponding with through the mail uh, after she killed her second husband and they were basically contact. I think he was either out of Wisconsin or Minnesota, but he, um, they were talking through the mail and he, and because she had actually put out um, ads in Norwegian papers throughout the Midwest and Midwest was, had a lot of Norwegian communities and um, especially up North in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And the you UP think she sounded like chef. the hoody hoody hoo. Probably. Yeah. Sound like the Swedish chef. Yep. Um, but uh, there was a guy, and she was like corresponding to the mail. And what had happened was is these suitors would come to the homestead. A lot of times they'd, they'd either get money out or whatever because they would offer to pay her mortgage. They would offer to do this and offer to do that. And she was, okay, let's go down to the bank. And they would deposit the money and mysteriously these people would never be seen again. So she ends up corresponding with this guy for like a year. And finally he decides he's going to make the trip to Laporte. He makes a trip to Laporte. He's got quite a bit of money on him. They deposit the money. He turns up missing. And he doesn't tell anybody where he's going. He didn't tell his family what was up. So his brother and his name was Asley Hillig. I'm going to, I know I'm going to butcher this. So just bear with me. Helglian. H-E-L-G-E-L-I-E-N. Okay. And he's like, my brother's missing and he finds these letters between his brother and Bell. So he's like, I'm going to Laporte. Yeah. So he goes to Laporte and that's when, and and, in, and, here, and here's what it says. And just basically in the correspondence, it says to bring money and to keep the move a secret. And he finds soft depressions in the soil and it had been made into a pen for hogs and they dug in one of the depressions and they found a gunny sack that was said to contain two hands, two feet and one head, which Asley recognized to be that of his brother. Dang. So the very first depression they dig up just happens to be his brother. Cause it was the freshest one. It was right on top. Mm-hmm. So they inspect the site and they reveal dozens of sump depressions in the gunness yard and further digging investigation at the site yield multiple burlap sacks containing torsos and hands, Arms hacked from the shoulders down, masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly. So that tells you that there's been all this decomposition. And this was um, from trash-covered depressions that proved to be graves. And in each and every case, Bell had butchered the bodies in the exact same way. Because, you know, serial killers tend to be creatures of She knows the pattern that works. Exactly. She sticks with it. Um, so the body would be decapitated, arms removed from the shoulders, and legs severed at the knees. Blunt trauma and gashes characterizes the skulls in which would be found that had been separated from the bodies. Lucas Riley, quoting the Chicago Inter-Ocean and Mental Floss, noted that 
The bones had been crushed on the ends as though they had been struck with hammers after they were dismembered. And that quicklime had been scattered over the faces and stuffed in the ears. So quicklime is used to help um, speed up uh, decomposition of um, uh, basically anything uh, biological. Animals, people. It's also like a cleaning solvent they would Mm -hmm. use. Yep. After finding the parts of five bodies on the first day and additional six on the second, some in shallow graves under the original hog pen, others near an outhouse or a lake, the police stopped counting. With these discoveries, the perceptions of Belle Gunness, as reported in newspaper descriptions of a praiseworthy woman dying in the fire that consumed her house in a desperate attempt to save her children, were reassessed. Despite the initial success with the identification of Andrew uh, Helgelian, which is the brother, by the way, the one that died, and despite the fact that Whitey news coverage of the mass murders invited inquiries for families with men that had been gone missing, most of the remains could not be identified. Because again, this is 1904, 1908. They didn't have dental records. They didn't have DNA. There was no way, especially with the, the levels of decomposition, some to the point where they were bone, there was no way to tell who was who. Yeah. I'm thinking what happened was she just met her match and mm-hmm. the guy killed her, set the house on fire. Well, it just so happens that she actually had a lover who's also a, a, a hired hand and he was convicted of, uh, of arson in connection with the fire in November of 1908. And he confessed that Gunness had played advertisements seeking male companionship only to murder and rob the men who responded and subsequently visit her on the farm. Lamper stated that Gunness asked him to burn down the farmhouse with her children inside. Lamper also asserted, asserted that the body thought to be Gunness was in fact a murder victim chosen and planted to mislead investigators. The brother of one victim had warned Gunness that he might arrive at the farm shortly and investigate his brother's disappearance. According to Lampier, this impending visit motivated Gunness to destroy her house, fake her own death, and flee. So, yeah. Now, one of the things, too, is that Belle was not a small, petite woman. Um, Miss Trunchbull. Yeah. If, you, <laughs> if you've seen Matilda, you think Miss Trunchbull, that's what she looks like. Yeah. I mean,. She was basically she was strong enough and big enough to overpower average sized guys. Yeah, they actually said that um, at one point there was like some kind of um, vendor or something. He, he he brought like some plies for the farm, and what normally would take two guys to carry, she would just throw over her shoulder yeah. and carry it. She herself. was a bull, man. And 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 these guys that were bringing the supplies to the farm were just dumbfounded at the fact that here was this woman able to manhandle these supplies where it would take the average guy, I mean, just a struggle to get done. I bet they got the inspiration for that Matilda character from her. It would not surprise me. Yeah. It would not surprise me. She lived alone in a house. You know, she was a man hater. Who knows? Uh, Yeah. She actually had one kid, one, one of her kids that she killed and uh, because she was the one actually told one of her friends that she was the one that told her friend that mommy killed daddy with the meat grinder. She killed that daughter. And then told uh, peop- her neighbors and other people in Laporte that she sent her off to California to finishing school. Um, yeah. So there was a guy named Edward Beckley. He was a journalist and he was given an assignment to acquire access to confession and publish it, thus bringing a second inconsistent Lampere account to light. The second report is, or this second account is a report that Lamper contacted Reverend Edwin Shell and provided him with a verbal confession that Shell described and had Lampier sign a document that Shell kept sealed in his personal safe. Beckley attempted to convince Shell to allow him to publish this letter, uh, later confession, but was denied by both Shell and Shell's wife. 
However, a separate newspaper published a story of speculation regarding that the second Lapeer confession. Described as worried as to the peace of the families of the victims, Shell offered a confession to Beckley, which was later published. The Beckley narrative, entitled Lampier's Confession, contains a summary from Beckley, and this is what it said. In the confession, Lampier said that he had killed Mrs. Gunnis and children with an axe, sprinkled the bodies of kerosene, and set fire to them with the house. It gave details excuse me, it gave details of the slaying and and told of his part in the former murders which occurred at the Gunnis Farm. His task usually being the burying of the bodies in the garden. The essential fact, however, was that the murderers was not alive as a fugitive. So the second account says that he killed Gunnis and the kids and set house uh, uh, set the house on fire. Yeah. The first account was is that no, Belle is gone. She's left, and she left her kids for dead. Now, again, going back to what I was saying before, Belle was a big, big woman. Uh, built like a linebacker for the uh, New York Giants. And the woman that they found that was headless was a much smaller woman. And some people argued, well, of course, you know, it's a fire, you know, fire tends to shrink tissue. But at the same time, it, her overall size did not match that of Belle. I wouldn't put it past her to set it up just so she could flee. Right. Right, and that's what, and that's what a lot of people uh, say is that, um, basically she took because at at the end of the uh, at the end, at the end of all the at the end of all the murders, um, uh, at the end at the end of them all, she had a ton of money. Oh yeah. Because there was like something like 13 or 14 total people who had come to want to, she had enough to like go to Spain and start a whole new life or something. Yeah. Like, I mean, because at one point that if I remember right, the, the, the uh, narrative that she put out there, I mean, if she killed 40 guys, like they said, and took their, mo- not only the money out of their bank account, but also their policies and all that stuff. Right. I mean, she would have millions by there was, now. There was one guy, because in, in her advert, she said that she was a comely woman, uh, and uh, uh, that basically at the end of the day, she had her own farm. She wanted, she was seeking out other successful farmers or homesteaders in which they would come there and they would join their fortunes, is right. how she put it out. So basically a lonely person looking for another lonely person. Exactly. Yeah. But the at the end of the day, what she was wanting to do was basically collect their fortune, kill them off, yes. and it would be in their account. It's the so, same thing that like H.H. H. Holmes would do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, basically, she was the female version. She was like, and if you think about it, LaPorte and Chicago are not that far from no. each other at all. And so, I mean, and and they existed about the same time. Right. Uh think H.H. H. Holmes did his a little after Bell's, but... His was early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So was hers. Yeah. Um, so, here was the letter um, there was a letter that I came across that was actually because actually here's, here, okay, here's the other part. Here was the suitors. And this kind of gives you an act, uh, kind of a um, 
a bit of an idea of like how much she managed to get. So one of the guys that she managed to kill and get his money, his name was John Moe, and he was from Elbow Lake, Minnesota, and he brought with him more than $1,000 with him to pay off her mortgage, or so he told the neighbors whom Gunnis introduced him as her cousin. So Gunnis like, oh, yeah, this is just my cousin. Well, yeah, because yeah. then if he disappears, someone's going to think the wiser. He disappeared from her farm within a week of his arrival. Then came George Anderson from Tarkio, Missouri, who, like Peter Gunnis and John Moe, was an immigrant from Norway. Uh, with Anderson, she raised the issue of their mortgage. Anderson agreed that he would pay this off if they decided to wed. Like that night, Anderson awoke to see her standing over him, holding a guttering candle in her hand with a strange, sinister expression on her face. Without uttering a word, she ran from the room. Anderson fled from the house, soon taking a train to Missouri. So Anderson is actually the only suitor to have uh, to survived. Um, now, what separates him from uh, Lampier is Lampier was a hired hand. And actually, Lampier would actually become jealous of these suitors uh, because he was having a sexual relationship with, with uh, Bell Gunnis. And he would brag about it. And, and if you see pictures of Bell Gunnis, it's nothing to worth bragging about. Um, but the suitors kept coming, but none except for Anderson ever left the Gunnis farm. By this time, she had begun ordering huge trunks to be delivered to her home. This is what I was talking about. So she would order these huge trunks, and hack driver Clyde Sturgis delivered many such trunks to her from uh, Laporte, and later remarked how the heavyset woman would lift these enormous trunks like boxes of marshmallows, tossing them onto her wide shoulders and carrying them into the house. So, I mean... Brute strength. Yeah, I mean, this was a big Norwegian woman. I mean, if you think like those, like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of like those big, uh, burly barmaids, like, you know, or yeah. milkmaids, uh, like they, they tend to stereotype Norwegian women, these big ones, that's what she puts you in the mind of. It's a woman that's built to be single and self-reliant and can do pretty much anything she wants to do. Yep. So then you get old, old B. Budsberg, and he was an elderly widower from iola wisconsin he was next and he was last seen in laporte at the savings bank on april 6 1907 when he mortgaged his wisconsin land there signing over a deed and obtaining excuse me several thousand dollars in cash budsburg's sons oscar and matthew had no idea that their father had gone off to visit gunnis and when they finally discovered his destination they wrote to her and she promptly responded saying that she had never seen her father um, several other middle-aged men appeared and disappeared in brief visits to the Gunnis Farm throughout 1907. And in December 1907, this is when Andrew shows up and he ends up losing his life. And uh, and his and this is the letter that they that the brother Astley ended up finding. Now this is pretty charming, actually. So it's no wonder this guy thought he was you know finding the dream woman, even though, uh. yeah. So. This is what Gunnis wrote to Mr. Asley Hilliglian or whatever. To the dearest friend in the world, no woman in the world is happier than I am. I know that you are now to come to me and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take one long to tell when to like a person and you I like better than anyone in the world. I know. I think how we will enjoy each other's company or think how we will enjoy each other's company. You are the sweetest man in the whole world. We will be all alone with each other. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly. 
When I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of the dear children speaks of you, or I hear myself humming it with the words of an old love song, it is beautiful music to my ears. My heart beats in wild rapture for you. My Andrew, I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. Oh, that last sentence there, come prepared to stay forever. Yeah, that's like... That's ominous. That is like classic film yeah, foreboding. That's like, ominous, dude. Yeah, that's... I mean, and I mean, and he did. He did, yeah. Um. So he, res- he responds to the letter by... Do you think she snickered when she wrote that? Like I'm sure that there was like an evil bit of laughter would be my yeah. guess. <laughs> Peter Griffin. <Yeah. laughs> so he actually goes there in 1908 in January and he had with him a check for $2,900 from his savings that he had drawn from his local bank. And within a few days after he arrived, he and Gunnis appeared at the savings bank in Laporte and deposited the check. And then he vanished a few days later. But Gunnis appeared at the savings bank to make a $500 deposit, good gravy, and then another deposit of $700 in the state bank. At this time, she started to have problems with Ray Lampier because now Ray's getting jealous. Um. Yeah, the theory was that he killed her and burnt the house and all that. Yeah, he actually yeah. got charged, and if I remember right, he actually got convicted. Yeah. Um. So you have this, and here is the list of. Are you ready to go down the laundry list of her murders? Are you ready for Let's this? Do it. You got Budsburg of Iola, Wisconsin. He vanished in May May nineteen oh seven. Thomas Linbow, who had left Chicago and gone to work as a hired man for Gunnis three years earlier. Henry Gerhold of Scandinavia, Wisconsin, who had gone to wed her a year earlier, taking $1,500 to her. A watch corresponding to one belonging to Gerhold was found with a body. Olaf Svenhurud from Chicago. Oh, my gosh. You're so Scandinavian. John Moe of Elbow Lake, Minnesota. Uh, his watch was found in Lampier's possession. Olaf Lindblom from he was 35 from Wisconsin. And here comes some more victims. William Mingay, a coachman from New York City who left that city in April 1st, 1904. Herman Konitzer of Chicago. He disappeared in 1906. Charles Edmund of New Carlisle, Indiana. George Berry of Tuscola, Illinois. Christy Hilkevin of Dover, Barron County, Wisconsin, who sold his farm and came to LaPorte in 1906. Charles Nieberg, uh, he was 28 years old, Scandinavian immigrant who lived in Philadelphia, told friends that he was going to visit Gunnis in June 1906 and never came back. He had been working as a saloon keeper and took $500 with him. Uh, John H. McJunkin, uh, Coropolis near Pittsburgh, he left his wife in December 1906 at the corresponding with a LaPorte woman. Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant of Carroll, Indiana, wrote his relatives in 1906. He was going to marry a wealthy window, widow of Laporte. Henry Bisky of Laporte, who disappeared in June 1906, and his hired hand uh, named Edward Canary of Pink Lake, Illinois, who also vanished in 1906. So these are all within like two or three years of each mm-hmm. other, mostly. Oh, yeah. She was busy. Yes, she was. Bert Chase of Mishawaka sold his butcher shop and told friends of a wealthy widow and that he was going to look her up. His brother received a telegram supposedly from Aberdeen, South Dakota, claiming Bert had been killed in a train wreck. His brother investigated and found the telegraph was fictitious. Tons per- Peterson Lynn of Rushford, Minnesota, is allegedly had disappeared in April 2nd of 1907. A gold ring marked S.B. May 28, 1907 was found in the ruins. A hired man named George Bradley of Tuscola, Illinois, 
is alleged to have gone to LaPorte to meet a widow and three children in October 1907. T.J. Tiefland of Minneapolis is alleged to have come to see Gunnis in 1907. Frank Redinger, a farmer uh, in Wisconsin, Indiana, Indiana in 1907 to marry and never returned. Emil Tell, a Swede from Kansas City, Missouri, disappeared in 1907. Lee Porter of Bartonville, Oklahoma. He separated from his wife and told his brother he was going to marry a wealthy widow in LaPorte. John Hunter of uh, Duquesne, Pennsylvania. He disappeared on November 25th, 1907. And he told his daughter she was going to marry a wealthy widow in northern Indiana. Yeah, she must have just been churning them out, dude. And there was two other Pennsylvanians, George Williams and Ludwig Stoll. Uh, they both left their homes to go marry in the West. Abraham Phillips, a railway man. He was from West Virginia. He disappeared in 1907. Benjamin Carling of Chicago disappeared in 1907. He was last seen by his wife after telling her he was going to a port to secure an investment with a rich widow. He had with him $1,000 from an insurance company borrowed from uh, several investors as well. And he, in June 1908, his widow was able to identify his remains from Port Popper's cemetery by the contour of his skull and three missing teeth. Okay. Wow. Uh, Og Gunderson, Ole Olson of Battle Creek, Michigan, Linder Nicholson of Huron, South Dakota, Andrew Anderson of Lawrence, Kansas, jo- Johan Sorensen. Why of is she Joseph. going after all these Swedes and Norwegians? Like because she had put the advert out in Norwegian newspapers throughout the Midwest. Okay, so these the Norwegians and these Swedes, you know, the Scandinavians—they're reading it. They see, oh, she's a, she's one of us. Okay, she's making it too. I got you. So they wanted to marry their own. And there was another possible victim with the name Hinkley. Reported unnamed victims were a daughter of Mrs. H. Witzer of Toledo, Ohio. A no man and woman are alleged to disappear in September of 1906, the same night Jenny Olson went missing. Gunnis claimed they were a Los Angeles professor and his wife who had taken Jenny to California. A brother of Miss Jenny Graham of Orkesha, Wisconsin, who were left to marry a witch widow a rich widow in Laporte, but vanished. A hired man from Ohio, age 50, named Unknown's legend had disappeared and Gunnis became the heir to his horse and buggy. Another unnamed man from Montana told people at a resort he was going to sell Gunnis' horse and buggy, which were found in several other horses and buggies at the farm. Moth or something. And, and I'm over swatting it. I'm like, oh my goodness. There's a lot of victims, dude. That is a lot. And that and that was just a small list of the ones. And like I yeah. said, she killed at least to 40. three ki- three of her own kids. Plus, there was the one that told her friend at school about what happened to her dad. Yeah. She went and disappeared. She went to finishing school. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the laundry list is long. All right. So, you have... All that stuff that, I mean, that was just the, the, the short list of her victims. Those are the ones that most people know about and the ones I could identify. Um, I'm sure there was way more than what they thought, you know. Oh, yeah. Especially if they're saying, what, 14 to 40? I mean, it's probably bigger than that number even. Yeah. Look at how efficient she was. I mean, gosh, dude. How many of those guys were in the same year? I mean, yeah, I mean, that. I mean, you got to think within about a year, year and a half, she killed anywhere from 14 to 40 people inside of a year to year and a half. She was efficient. That she was. They said that by 
This is by Lamper's count. She had more murdered 42 men and perhaps more and taken amounts ranging from 1,000 to 32,000. She had allegedly accumulated more than $250,000 to her murder schemes over the years, a huge fortune for those days. That comes out to $6.3 million in 2008 money. She Good had, Lord. Yeah. She had a small amount remaining in one of her savings accounts, but local banks later admitted that she had indeed withdrawn most of her funds shortly before the fire. I feel like it was a set. I feel like she set up the fire. She got away and she lived large for until she died. Oh, yeah. She knew she was smarter than to die in a house fire. And you have to think this is 1908, 1907. Mm -hmm. She there's there's not. The type of police efficiency we have no. now where you can just get on the phone or send a quick email hey you know this is what you're looking for you can fax a picture she worked hard to make that money she's gonna go enjoy it too yeah i mean she's got 6.3 million dollars worth i mean of our money uh well 2008 money which would be more now yeah uh, i mean so this woman is on the move yeah now they even said that there were more sightings of her throughout the years well of course there was because there's no there's no way that headless woman was Belle. I'm just imagining like Gone Girl mm -hmm. when she's driving through the camp, the cabins or the campsites and stuff yep. and trying to make her own way. I mean, I mean, and, and I know we didn't get into a lot of details because there's a lot of stuff about the court hearing between what because uh, I mean Ray's trying to say I didn't murder these people, yeah, but he was involved. Poor guy, he got <laughs> I mean, a pinned on him. Yeah, I mean. He got, I mean, basically he had relations with a really ugly woman. He bragged about it. Then he doesn't get any of the cut. He knew she, all these guys were getting killed and stuff. And, and he's left to take the fall. I take that back. Not poor guy. He's a piece of crap. Yeah. He deserves it. Yeah. And and so he thinks he's in, you know, he, at the end of the day, he's going to get a piece of the pie. He thought they were both going to run off happily. Yeah. Go buy an island together. I'm sure he did. And then he's end up in jail. Yeah. She's so, cold-hearted. You can't trust her, dude. No, what are you I mean, thinking? I mean, if she's going to kill these guys... You're, and, no, you're no different, you know? I mean, she killed two husbands, at least one of her yeah. daughters, and you think you're special. Raise a moron. So, oh, he's definitely a moron. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I know we, don't, we didn't get into a lot of the details, because there is a lot of information in, in, in any true crime episode. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of stuff to peel yeah. back, and we're never going to get into all that. Plus, we don't like to slog through court details. Yeah, because that is not this podcast is not for that. Yeah, we that just, stuff is so boring. Basically, what we tend to do, and if you guys listen to enough of it, we bring the topic. Yeah, we hit the major stuff. We try to get to some underlying stuff too to try to uncover some of the the more uh, unknown details that are still mind blowing. And uh, with Bell, I mean, she is. There are plenty of law podcasts mm -hmm. out there if you want to listen to court cases. Oh, yeah. But I'm not. Yeah, that's yeah. not my cup of tea. But I mean, yeah, this is an investigation discovery. That's not what no. we do here. Yeah. So we, I mean, but ultimately, I mean, if you think about it, Belle is the ultimate black widow. I mean, I don't think there's as many women out there. It, it, I don't think there's I a single think one of any. that has the body count that she does. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's black widows that have three to five victims but she's got a whole army of victims dude yeah, i mean only two of them she actually married but she somehow and the efficiency of her it's not over a 20-year span it's two or three years mm -hmm. i mean that's insanity and she managed to do all this and she collected all this money it's like they were showing up it's like the walking dead when they would show up to terminus and be killed and, yep. and turned out like a system 
It's yeah. like they show up, she takes the money, she deposits, she kills them, she buries them. Yep. Rinse cycle, rinse repeat the cycle. And that's what she did. I mean, yeah. she did it with absolute efficiency. That's insane. And here's the thing. Even in that time period, what right mind do you go, you know what? Here's a woman I've never met. I'm going to sell off my farm or sell off my business and sell off my assets. I'm going to take desperate. all this money and I'm going to just go across the Midwest. A lot of them were, first of all, they didn't have photography. So she, they probably didn't know what she looked like. Yeah, I mean, the photography they had then was very, well, basic. She probably didn't put a picture in the paper. I doubt that. I mean, she probably told yeah. her, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit chubby, but I'm cute. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> right. The guys show up. These guys were Norwegian, Swedish. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were probably immigrants who didn't have family here. Right. Or who were lonely, just wanted something, right? Right. You still have that today. I mean, they just catfish the show. People are so lonely. They'll, you know. Yeah, I mean, she definitely was uh, OG catfish. Yeah. So these people are super lonely. They just want to find somebody. They don't care who it is. They go after her. And then they, well, you know what happens to them. Yeah, I mean... I mean, yeah, I mean, all those, basically she had a graveyard in her, on her farmstead. Yep. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing is like, everybody thought she was this respectable woman and turns out she was just this cold blooded, cold hearted killer that operated on a factory efficiency. I mean, she had a formula. She's definitely good at what she did. Oh yeah. I mean, she had a formula. She stuck to it. And the, the big thing that, that finally turned it over was, you know, that brother, Asley, finding in the letter and then coming to Laporte to figure it all out. Yeah. I mean, and that's what did her in. And she did it all within the span of like a year. So that's not even enough time for the cops to catch wind and really start an investigation. Right. By the time they found out, she's gone. Yeah. The majority of the deaths, I mean, I mean, I read off just a few and the majority of those deaths happened anywhere from a year to, to, to two years. Yeah. The majority of them. I mean, and that's insane. That is insanity. And that doesn't even count the two husbands she killed off. Gosh. She had to be doing a couple a month. At least. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, that's just to the that's just sheer I mean, that's what I mean, that's just I like to imagine she's like a sociopath, really. One shows up and then another one shows up too early before she killed the other one. She's like, well, this it's is like awkward. a comedy of errors where she's like <laughs> trying to keep one in one room and the other in the other room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's going back and forth between rooms, doing different characters and stuff. A very dark sitcom. That yeah. Movie. Comedy of errors. Bell Gunnis. Oh, man. The imagine, comedy killer. Imagine the theme song from uh, Benny Hill playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm imagining. But yeah, I mean, I mean, this woman was cold. Um, but like I said, this is one of those where she was literally shaped like a bell. Oh my gosh, she it. is. Yeah, <laughs> just just a dumpy bell. <laughs> That's her. The trench bell. Yep. But I mean, yeah, I mean, she. I mean, here is another serial killer from Indiana. I mean, that, I mean, that's one of the biggest. She's pretty famous. Yeah, too. she really is. I mean, you. I mean, if you're a true crime buff, you probably know, have at least heard of her. Uh, me and Noah were actually talking before we hit record. Both of us thought it was Guinness. And I'm like, yeah. well, we both pronounced I that. still fight to say Guinness instead of Guinness. Yeah. My mouth wants to say Guinness. It, yeah, I was the same way. Like, every time I've said her name, I'm like, the, my brain's like, say Guinness. Yeah. Say Guinness. She probably shortened it. It was probably like Gunderson or something. Well, it was her husband's, the second husband's name was Guinness. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, he probably shortened it. Probably, one of those, like because a lot of those a lot of those people came over here. They had super long, you know, 
Gunter Gunter Gunderson. Gunter Gunter Gunderson. Now you're just Gunner. Gunner. Now you're Gunner. Yeah. So, but uh, that like I said, this is this is a pretty basic episode. I know it's not like one of our big deep dives, but to be honest, I'm not feeling great today. That's that's part of it. I don't know why. But the majority of Bell really, I think we did most the majority of what her case really is about. Yeah. And I really didn't want to get into the court stuff. Like, I just no. did not want to get into that. Slog. And I'm like, you know, I really don't want to just get into that. The so. only interesting things about court are when, like, the BTK did his confession. Mm-hmm. Or Richard Ramirez showed his the pentagram. pentagram. Yeah. But other than that, court cases are just so boring. Because basically, I mean, you have, uh, what's his face? Ray telling everybody what his side of it is and yeah. there's no way to refute it but there's also all the circumstantial evidence that also puts him at fault yeah which he did get convicted so i mean that's really the basic of it uh you know ray takes the fall and gunnus runs off with 6.3 million dollars yep good for her <laughs> with a body count that uh no Black Widow has managed to uh, not even overcome. Not and, even Avengers Black Widow. And I don't honestly think that in today's day and age that anyone could ever come close to that. No, you'd get caught after the first one. Yeah. yeah. You'd get caught after the first one. With social media and then if she's depositing it to the bank and stuff, people would be like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you, oh honey, do you want to take out two life insurance policies? I think that's what we need to do. No. That's what we need to do. Because you get a lot of these guys who tax fraud people who get married and kill their wife. They get caught after the first one. Yeah, actually. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, because I mean, now death is so heavily investigated now. Yeah. Because back in the day, you could literally have someone killed and like, oops, we have to bury him on the family farm. You know, we got to bury him. We got this on plot. social media so you can tell the instant they died from mm-hmm. when they stopped posting and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's how they find murderers now. Yeah. They use social media so much that, because everybody's right. on it. So with that said, guys, I'm not going to do the housekeeping like I normally do because I've done it at the beginning. Um, just share us. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. And listen um, to us. Yeah. Listen, share, follow, subscribe, whatever. Make sure you click that bell. I'm not. No, don't do that. Just, <laughs> you know, we're not going to do that cringy YouTube stuff. But just... uh. I hope you guys keep enjoying the episodes as we might, as much as we enjoy making the episodes. Right. That's our biggest thing. If you enjoy it, we enjoy it. So you guys have a good one. Thanks for listening.